This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Katie Balls. So last night, a missile seems to have struck two Polish people on the border between Poland and Ukraine, killing both of them, leading to lots of questions about what exactly happened and fears that this is a Russian attack on a NATO country. But James, what do we know about the situation at the moment? So I think the Polish president has said that it appears to have been an unfortunate accident, not an intentional attack. And although the Polish investigation hasn't finished yet, it seems that the most likely explanation is for the Ukrainian air defence missile trying to take down Mm -hmm. a Russian missile attacking Ukraine has landed on Polish territory, hit this silo, and and the resulting explosion has, has tragically killed two people. I think you can't get away from the fact that the kind of ultimate responsibility for this lies with Russia for the fact that if they were not loosening off missiles at civilian targets in Ukraine, this would not have happened. But I also think that the temperature is much lower today than it was last night. Because I think the worry last night was whether this was, to use the kind of phrase we use, an intentional accident. Mm. But the Russians do things at the edge. It's not a a kind of clearly deliberate targeted attack, but they're just sending a message. I think it it is now increasingly clear... That, that is the least likely possibility here. I mean, the most likely is, but it is a kind of Ukrainian air defence missile that, that has gone wrong. I, and I think, therefore, the pressure on NATO to respond is weaker. I mean, mm-hmm. there was an expectation last night that Poland might be invoking Article 4, which leads to kind of formal consultations among NATO members about what to do. I mean, there are two things that come out of this. It bolsters the case for strengthening both Polish and Ukrainian air defences. And I think if you could do that, that would help deal with this problem. Because I think there is obviously an inherent risk of such accidents when Russia, which is obviously losing on the battlefield, starts mm. trying to hit you know civilian targets in Ukraine in an attempt to essentially take out infrastructure and break the will of the Ukrainian people to resist, something that is clearly not succeeding. Katie, what has the response been from British politicians? Because it's something that obviously Rishi Sunak is in Bali with other world leaders, but also Labour has commented on. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. We just come from Parliament where we're in the press gallery for Prime Minister's questions and Angela Rayner, yes, she got onto bullying claims just as we will on this podcast, but she began on the missiles on NATO, on Russian aggression, um, making very clear, you know, calling for Dominic Raab to agree with her that Russia needed to be tackled, that the general approach for Russia, as we wait for more details in terms of what is happening, if you take a step back mm. across the whole conflict, is unacceptable and how uh, a message must be sent to them. And I think it's another sign of how it might not seem something to write home about the fact that people are opposed to Russia, but you just think about how Labour's stepping into these opportunities and trying to be on the front foot on various areas where under Jeremy Corbyn, you know, led Labour Party, of which Angela Rayner mm. served, they, they would not be, you know, at least they would not be walking into these. They would be waiting for them to come up and then there'd be some nervous betting around them. And I think you can see it on Russia and how Keir Starmer generally on NATO 
when the conflict first began, was very keen to voice his support, but also by doing that was distancing himself from the past. And then also, I just think on various issues now, where if you think about where Labour have had weak spots over the past few years and, and longer, so whether it's defence or even immigration, if you look to just, you know, a few weeks ago at Prime Minister's questions, how Keir Starmer went on that. And also some of Keir Starmer's comments, I think, on eco-zealots and, and so mm. forth. You can see the Labour Party trying to establish itself as the centre ground. And James, that brings us on to Prime Minister's questions. Today, Dominic Raab was standing in for Rishi Sunak, and he's obviously at the centre of quite a big row at the moment, which is only getting bigger, it seems. What is the latest development with the bullying row over Dominic Raab? So up until today, the government's defence has been that there have been no formal complaints made against Dominic Raab. It transpired that I think yesterday, two formal complaints were made. Mm. Dominic Raab has now asked for an investigation to take place into these complaints. Into himself. <laughs> yeah, that will that will now happen. I think that he was clearly at, at PMQs trying not to get into kind of fifth gear on this and, and you know, saying I mean, what's the specific allegation that has been made. I think there is something worth bearing in mind, which is that the, the one specific in what Angela Rennie was saying was, was the tomato story. <laughs> I think there is a question which is, there is obviously a difference between throwing a tomato at someone, which is unacceptable, and angrily throwing the tomatoes out of your salad into the bin or a bag, which is clearly in a different question. I think there's, I think there is... Have you ever done the latter? I I love tomatoes, so I have not thrown, (laughs) uh, there would be no no throwing of tomatoes away. And I think, I think, I think tomatoes are one of the best things that one can eat. Very good for your heart health. (laughs) Back back to preventative healthcare from yesterday. But Dominic Raab is, it is clearly that, if you look at what Simon McDonald said yesterday, he is clearly someone who is a, a demanding, difficult mm. boss the question is whether that crosses a line and i think his friends and allies and you know i think you can judge it from the reaction of the tory benches most of the tory benches take the view that he is he has not crossed the line from difficult to demanding to mm. bullying I mean, there are obviously tensions here because i think different people interpret where that line sits differently and i think this is one of one of the things that if this round continues i think one of the things that is going to become difficult is and, and and I think you already saw this beginning to happen at PMQs mm. that where people draw the line can very easily just descend into what whether they like that person or dislike that person. There needs to be, I think, the kind of basis for this debate needs to be what equals unacceptable behaviour, mm. and then that has to be applied equally to everybody, regardless of whether you agree with them on a particular issue or not. And I think you could see with Jacob Rees-Mogg's intervention an attempt to say. Look, we can talk about allegations of bullying, but this is not a one-party issue. So Jacob Bruce Morgan, his answer was bringing up bullying during the Jeremy Corbyn era, mm. the fact that Luciana Berger um, was driven out of the party and she put it down to you know, intimidation, the fact that Laura Koonsberg as BBC political editor needed to have ultimately security due to some of the threats she was getting from the left. Mm. But then also I think you can go back to you know complaints and also complaints even about whipping if we look to the Gavin Williams episode you know, these are not exclusive to one party Every, particularly your parties in government if you look at some things Labour have been accused of or even allegations against Labour MPs so this is not to make it about what about mm. but the point is 
if Labour really want to go hard on some of this stuff, I think you can take Jacob Rees-Mogg's intervention today mm. as a sign it won't be too long before the Tories hit back and try and say, well, you can say this, but look at your own backyard and, you know, glass houses. I thought, though, the most interesting intervention at Prime Minister's Questions came from Esther McVeigh. And ultimately, this is ahead of the autumn statement tomorrow. She effectively put the government on notice that she, well, at least she says that when it comes to what they unveil tomorrow, if there are tax rises, she will vote against that unless vanity projects like HST are scrapped. Now, when there's trust and quasi Quatang were in that six weeks, which were less for quasi Quatang, but during that period, um, when they were looking at you know the various things to cut, lots of MPs were going to them and saying HS2, you've got to get rid of HS2. I think the problem there in the view is, no matter what your view on HS2 is, we know Liz Truss from her time as Chief Secretary of the Treasury was very unsubtle about her opposition to it. So you had a Prime Minister who was never keen on the project, but despite that, the view is it's very hard to now row back from it, and so much has been committed that you'd be almost losing money that you've already spent on it. It's not really seen as a particularly viable option. But that raises ultimately a question, which is, what does the government then do about people like Esther McVeigh? Has she spoken to others if she feels willing to make that intervention? Now, it could be that there are enough savings in other areas the government is making that you can say, oh, you need to stomach this tax rise because, look, there's this thing here where we're cutting down on government waste. But I just think it points to the fact that there's been a, a narrative growing, which is, you know, the Tory party is back to sensible politics. There is a truce, but it has always been an uneasy truce. And I think the test of really whether this is going to last and whether the party is ungovernable or governable is going to be in the fallout from this statement, which is can people who, you know, say they want to behave, say they want to support a government, mm. um, ultimately stomach a few things they don't like and get this through. If they can, then you can start to see Rishi Sunak's path to, you know, going all the way to 2024. If this becomes a Tory hissy fit, mm. not so much. And James, today's inflation figures have also come in time for the autumn statement tomorrow, um, showing that it's now at 11%. Does that actually bolster Rishi Sunak's argument that he needs to get inflation down first and foremost? I think it, I think the fact that inflation is at, a, a, I think it's a 41-year high, is a reminder that you've, you've got to deal with inflation first, I mm. think, before you can deal with anything else. I think there is a funny dance going on at the moment, which is, obviously, if the government fiscally tightens in the autumn statement that eases some of the pressure on the bank of england to tighten monetary policy mm. and so but 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 there's obviously that 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 dance is ongoing i mean there are three bigger questions about the autumn statement the first is does it convince the markets that it's a credible plan because ultimately what finished off the trust quality saying mini budget was not the politics but the market reaction and how mm. that that fed the politics then I think the next question is, where does the growth come from? I think some of the growth forecasts at the moment are remarkably depressing. The banking is mm. that growth is kind of 0.75% of the central growth rate. You've got to get, as Fred, something that Fraser Nelson, our editor, has been writing about, you've got to find a way to get some of these this large, inactive population back into work. I mean, that that is a, a big test. And then I think the third test is... I think the Tory party has really neglected public service reform in the last six years. There was some very interesting stuff we discussed briefly on the podcast yesterday from the mm. IFS about how you know the NHS has more resources, more staff, but is treating fewer people than it was before COVID. How do you get over that hump? 
Because I think if you can't find a way to get more out of public services, then you are just going to have a problem which is going to be unsustainable, which is the tax burden will have to keep going higher and higher to deliver the same level of services. And as Katie says, that ultimately, regardless of the economic situation, that ultimately is not going to be sustainable in terms of the Tory party. Katie and James, thanks very much. And we'll be back with Autumn Statement Analysis tomorrow.